You're listening to Fueling the Future of Transport, hosted by Tammy Klein, the founder and CEO of Transport Energy Strategies. We'll talk all about the fuels and energy it takes to keep the world moving forward. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show uh, today. Uh, Great to have you. I am very pleased to welcome Graham Dorley, who is the CEO of TerraLine. So, Graham, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you, Tammy. I am so a pleasure to have you, and I'm so eager to talk to you about what the company's doing, heavy duty, trucking, and I'm even curious about your experiences in autonomy, but we'll we'll get to all that. Um, first things first, for the listeners who may not be familiar, can you talk about what TerraLine does and its mission? And, and what led you to, to join TerraLine, especially given your, your rich history of working with Waymo, Google, Tesla, all the, all the big and exciting names? Sure. So essentially, I, I'm an engineer, and uh, as alluded to in my background, and worked in the uh, electromobility, we'll call it spaces, as you mentioned, at Tesla, and then also at Waymo in the autonomy spaces. Uh, I love transportation. That's that's a big thing with me. You'll find is if it moves, it's awesome. Um, and I've always <laughs> been very intrigued by not only new technology but sustainability. You know, it's it's the big reason I joined Tesla. Uh, I wanted to be a part of that electric vehicle revolution at the time, so it was very early on there. Um, and then wanted to stay cutting edge with technology, and and that's why I moved over to Google, which became Waymo. Uh, but spent a lot of time in the industry and saw. Um, kind of this need, uh, especially around heavy trucks. So we can talk a little bit more about that in, in, I'm sure, some of your questions. But essentially, when I worked with heavy trucks at Waymo, I saw that the industry was a little bit behind uh, in its outlook of the future, right? The passenger car industry had really accelerated its adoption of electrification and also moving into autonomy. So from a sustainability aspect, uh, I saw a big opportunity to move into an industry, take the knowledge that I've learned uh, by building electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles and start applying it to the trucking industry and helping bring that industry forward to the future. Uh, And so a big part of it, honestly, was roughly 24% of US transportation emissions come from long haul heavy trucks, like big Mm -hmm. highway tractors, yet they account for something like 5% of, of vehicles on the road in the United States. So it's a disproportionate amount so to me, it made sense to kind of go after this sector and, and help make a vehicle that was commercially viable. Uh, so that's really what led to the starting of Caroline uh, back in 2021. So tell us about so the, the model that uh, you all are developing is called the Tangra LH1. Um, so tell us about that and tell us about what I what I found kind of interesting when I was um, researching um, TerraLine and preparing for the podcast and qu- questions and so forth, the the leasing um, model as a as a sales corporate model seems really unique in the HDV um, space, eHDV space. So, what's been the reaction to the industry um, of the the product? Um, and then, you know, kind of where is the company going, you know, in terms of the development process and timeline for full uh, commercialization, all of that sort of stuff. And by the way, it's a beautiful looking vehicle. I mean, might turn, me, might turn me into a trucker. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm mean, happy to, to talk more about the Tangra. So 
quick plug, that's actually a, a mountain range in Antarctica. So we we went to uh, in, a, in another oh, wow. egg, if you will. If you go to our website, you'll see uh, topography maps around, and that's actually Antarctica. I did so, see that. Um, oh, I yeah. didn't make the connection. So but yeah, awesome. We're, we're, we're kind of nerds like that in, in a <laughs> way. Um, but so the tanker came about, um, I'll kind of step back. So I spent, yeah. I spent a little bit of time working in the autonomy industry, as I mentioned. Right. Uh, Worked at, on on heavy truck autonomy for about five years at Waymo, and what I discovered working closely with Daimler and Packard at the time uh, was that these trucks that we're we're building on, which are kind of existing models, uh, are really kind of dated in their designs. Yes, they're they're more efficient in a lot of ways and more aerodynamic in some ways and advanced in others, but essentially the architecture fundamentally of the truck, which is a frame that has axles and an engine on the, in the front and then a cab on top hasn't really changed in close to 100 years. I mean, fundamentally, it's the same thing, right? And so when we start trying to deploy autonomy or electrification onto these vehicles, it's really challenging. You know, they're not designed for that. Uh, but we look to the future of the sustainable future of, of where the market should go to reach to zero emission driving or sustainability. And we talk about kind of why the market's going that way. <clears throat> we see that current trucks in, in their architectures don't work. So we decided at Terraline to build the Tangra LH1, which is a ground up new long haul battery electric battery electric heavy truck. So this, this is not based on an existing vehicle. It's not a frame that we're just converting and putting batteries on and saying, hey, do 200 miles. There's use for that, but we really see a need to get to the long haul segment. So the Tangra's 500 plus mile battery electric long haul truck. And um, it's really, it's, it's a new thinking. It's a new way of thinking, right? We're basically building a battery system and putting a truck around it. You know, that, that's the kind of thinking here. And we're obsessed with efficiency. So our, our engineers and I look at every aspect of the design and say, how can we take out mass? How can we conserve energy? Because every kilowatt on the platform has to be taken into account very carefully because that's more battery you have to add or you can take away and that gives you more range. More efficiency in the commercial industry means uh, moving further, moving faster, moving cheaper. And that's what really matters is that kind of total cost of ownership or cost per mile. And so when we talk about um, the, the leasing model, right? So we, we're obviously building a ground up new vehicle. Everybody at this point is aware that battery electric vehicles, whether it be passenger cars or heavy trucks, are expensive. Right? Mm -hmm. we, we're not going to sit here and tell you that we're going to make it cheaper, you know, to to buy than than a traditional vehicle, or a traditional truck, because it's just not the case with battery costs and everything else. So, in order to get a 500 plus mile battery electric truck that is commercially viable from a cost perspective, uh, there's a lot of ways you can do this, but we saw an opportunity by leasing the truck. And so what that means is essentially it's trucks as a service, if you will. We're going to provide the vehicle under a full service lease to our customers. Uh, they will use it for so many miles and basically compensate us per mile of use. And the reason we did it this way is because fundamentally we're designing the vehicle to last for 10 years or 3 million miles. And I'm sure anybody listening to this that's from the trucking industry, from a traditional OEM is like, there's no way you're going to do this. But trust me, it's possible. It's mm -hmm. uh, it just has to. You have to change the way you think about designing a vehicle, right? And as engineers, we're sitting here, we're looking at how can we make this last longer, right? And so that gives us kind of two advantages, maybe three, 
is first, obviously, from a sustainability standpoint, we build less vehicles. It's really important. Mm -hmm. uh, and we design the vehicle to be serviced and upgraded, much like an airliner. So airframes last for multiple decades, right? It's not uncommon. Um, and so then also our uh, costs can be amortized over a lot longer period, right? If we make it last for, you know, 3 million miles or 10 years, that ex that cost of the truck now is expand expanded over you know multiple years, and it's then cost per per mile to drive is a lot lower. So then when we turn to the leasing side, you know we we we're basically looking at it like we can get a customer a truck, and and from day one they can drive it on a cost per mile basis less than it costs to run a diesel. So it's about, I think, 51 cents or so, if I'm not mistaken. Our numbers mm -hmm. change almost every day, depending on um, depending on like what the fuel prices and labor prices right, are. But right. essentially, it's um, it's substantially cheaper to run per mile than a diesel. So our customers will see that benefit immediately. So it basically takes the barrier of entry. But yeah, all this said, it takes the barrier right. of entry to getting into electric trucks, and it lowers that down so that we can get more trucks on the road faster with our customers. So to me, when I was was looking at it, the first thing I thought was, okay, you know, like UPS, FedEx, you know, all of the big, yeah, Walmart, Amazon, all of the big fleet providers, they have the the deeper pockets to invest. They are investing in the space. They're investing in a whole range of different fuel types, you know, vehicle types, um, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but when I looked at what you're offering in terms of the the leasing, it's it's the barriers of entry. It's it's you're removing risk, which opens up the pool of potential users in a way that I think the traditional models really don't. Am I right? Am I wrong? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> you know, 100%. Suddenly, it's accessible to a smaller fleet owner that you know cares about ESG. Sees you know they're very you know as you know fleet owners are very you know, cost per mile driven, very economics driven, um, you know, they, they can look at the economics, you know, and they can take the a risk um, that, you know, would otherwise sort of be out of their potential ability to do otherwise. Yeah, I mean, so we'll, we'll just say, Tammy, our, our goal here is to to promote sustainable transportation, right? Reduce emissions. So, if we can get this truck into the hands of more people, that's obviously better. Now, of course, we are a business, right? We do have to make money. And right. um, you, you pretty much hit the nail on the head that our idea is to reduce the risk, to really take on more of the risk ourselves as a company, because we're confident in our product and we're confident in our ability to deliver. So we're taking on some of that financial risk. And there's a lot of ways, you know, we can look at that from a business perspective, but essentially from a customer's perspective, Yes, like uh, they can come lease the vehicle. Now, some larger customers that you mentioned do like to purchase vehicles. They don't always want to lease. We do have options to do that too, of course. If, right, you, if you right. want to purchase it, you, you can absolutely do that. Right. Um, but it, it helps the smaller fleets. Uh, and, and our uh, foray into the industry and going and talking to a lot of these companies have shown that they're pretty amenable. You know, when we show them the metrics and the cost per miles, which we've done a ton of analysis on, talked to an enormous amount of, of customers, uh, built out actual simulation models internally to, to drive these, these calculations, um, we can show really fundamentally how much cheaper it is to drive. Uh, and it's very appealing to a lot of customers. 
And since we are a new manufacturer coming up, uh, we do have to kind of prove ourselves in the industry and we're ready to do that and stand behind our work, um, which I think is, is a breath of fresh air for a lot of these customers. So what are you thinking in terms of, um, you know, you just started less than two years ago, you're, you're in the design and development phase. When do you um, go uh, commercial into manufacturing? Do you have a sense of what the timeline might look like when we actually will start to see, you know, some of these rolling out of the manufacturing facility? So to speak? Yeah. So we're, we're, we're moving as full speed ahead <laughs> as fast as we can. Um, it does take a while, like un unlike the typical Silicon Valley, I'm actually sitting here in Silicon Valley and right next to Tesla of all things, um, <laughs> you know, building hardware takes a while, right? And mm -hmm. so yeah. you know, my, my team of about 20 has experience. We've deployed around 19 or 21 vehicles on the road into production. So we have mm -hmm. a lot of manufacturing, design and manufacturing experience, the majority of which were electric and or electric autonomous vehicles. So, um, you know, we, we, we set some aggressive targets, certainly by middle to end of decade, you're going to see our trucks on the road. Um, now I can't say exactly at this point, right. sure. the specific date, but, um, we are also going to have a prototype on the road shortly. I'm very excited about this. Um, <clears throat> it's sitting behind this wall. <laughs> so, oh. so there's a, there's a pretty significant prototype coming that I think is going to show the world what Terraline is really about. Um, we did deploy, uh, for testing last August, a vehicle, you can kind of find it on YouTube reference on our website as well. Um, that was more of a development vehicle, but it showed some early work on our powertrain, on our battery systems, on our communication protocols, uh, to really get that technology going. But our goal is to get them out as quickly as we can. And, uh, we are working hard to do that. So expect us to have a major force within kind of middle to end of the decade, but soon you'll see more about us from our first prototypes. So I want to talk more broadly about the um, the EHDV space. <clears throat> what are the biggest um, opportunities and challenges that you see in this in the space right now? Is there enough uh, support from a policy perspective to help you know the this industry scale up? Is IRA Good enough? Question. Is the infrastructure law enough? Is advanced clean fleets in in California and you know advanced clean truck? Um, programs in, in California that now other states are implementing, is is it enough? Is more needed? What will it take? Yeah. I mean, of course, always more is always needed. Right? <laughs> I, I welcome Biden to 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 rain down from the heavens more capital. But <laughs> but it's it's been good. You know, so it's, far it's so really good in shown. that regard. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I, I can't complain, especially in California, you know, we're lucky in the fact that uh between the Inflation Reduction Act and the infrastructure bill, uh, there's roughly $160,000 for every heavy truck that's zero emission uh, to be put on the road. So the government is really helping out in that kind of buried entry. And that, of course, helps us deploy faster. Uh, but fundamentally, the the let's talk infrastructure side, let's just talk about customer adoption, right? It, it comes down to our fleets going to use the trucks. Do they want to use the trucks? The government can give more money and do the things that they want to do, but is it going to push the big fleets? And what we've seen is they have their own sustainability goals that when it surprised me. So I, I left Waymo and I went out into the really dove into the trucking industry. I was already in the trucking space, but really got got in with these customers, started talking. And it blew me away how much these customers want to move to zero emission vehicles, sustainable fleets. 
so their goals are much more aggressive than the government, and they want zero emission vehicles yesterday. And so uh, we even had a customer ask us, I can't say who, uh, if we wrote you a blank check, how many of these trucks can you build us next year? Like quite yeah. literally seriously said this. And, and we did the analysis. You know, we said we can build this many prototypes for you and it's going to cost X amount. But um, so while the government subsidies that I'm getting at are very um, helpful, right, in helping us deploy and build battery factories and, and get EVs on the road, fundamentally the customer's, um, the customer need and desire is already there. So it's just kind of helping stoke that fire. Um, now, from a production side, you know the Inflation Reduction Act, which, for all re respective purposes, should be called the Climate Bill, but uh, <laughs> it it does produce a lot of capital for building battery facilities and upfitting factories for EV manufacturing. So we certainly hope to take advantage of that in the future. So, how concerned are you about um, you know the competitor fuel types, as it were? You know. Um, there's renewable diesel, which is you know prevalent right now uh, in ca in California, uh, to perhaps a lesser extent renewable natural gas. Um, you know, there's conventional uh, diesel, um, which is still a force; it's still being used for now. The big one that really comes to my mind is hydrogen, because what I often hear is, "Oh, electrification is great for light duty, medium duty, long haul." Meh let's do hydrogen. So what's your reaction to that? And how do you think of, you know, the, the, the competitive fuel types as it were? Sure. Uh, yeah. And so we, I'm sure we could spend hours talking about this, <laughs> but I'll, I'll try to summarize a couple points. First, any, anything that gets us away from burning dinosaurs is great, right? Like I, I don't, to me, if it's, if it ends up being hydrogen or, um, yeah, I guess really just hydrogen at this point. <laughs> you know, <laughs> renewable energy uh, or renewable diesel or, or green diesel, whatever we are, blue diesel, whatever they're calling it these days, is is a good stopgap to to get us to eventually zero emission. You know, driving. Um, and so I applaud any of that, right? It, it, but to me, the the answer is battery electric. Clearly, but it's it's not just that. Hey, we worked at Tesla. We were just battery only, and that's it. We actually spent a lot of time looking at fuel cells. So the team here packaged fuel cells, and what I mean by that is we we built out a vehicle in computer space, right? And we we mm -hmm. put a fuel cell. We we talked with cryocompressed hydrogen companies. We looked at their tank sizes. We built out a system on the vehicle that could take mm -hmm. hydrogen. And what we found was essentially, from from an engineering perspective, a hydrogen long haul truck is still a battery electric truck. It just has a hydrogen fuel cell providing energy into the battery system. So. Um, you're still kind of doing battery stuff there. And when we started looking at the industry, right, we started talking to the big customers. We said, what do you need? Like, what, what, is, what would make a lot of sense for you from a long-haul perspective? But what we started to hone in on is this idea of about 500 miles. And so when the industry essentially developed around a human driver's ability to drive per day, because it's regulated by law, they can only drive so many hours, and it ends up being that these distribution centers that are the major kind of hubs and spokes mm -hmm. of, of our U.S. logistics system are less than 500 miles apart. And so when we kind of approached the customer said, hey, if we, if we could get you from one hub to the next hub in one day, in one cycle, without having to stop and charge, would that be cool? And they're like, oh, that would be great. And you know, they start having all these scenarios, which, again, surprised me. They're like, we could run this and this, and we could have these lanes and all this stuff. So 
what we found was about 500 miles is it gets us most. It's like 96% of the routes in the U.S. Wow. And so then we went back to the to the to the the engineering side and said, okay, if we this is our target now, here's where we have to hit. Can we do this? What's it going to take? And we started saying, well, how big does our pack size need to be versus the fuel cell and how much power? And it ended up being that we can do it with battery. And that cuts out a whole separate fuel source, right? So we don't have to have electricity and hydrogen because you would need to charge your battery. Even if you have a hydrogen fuel cell, you most likely are going to have to charge your battery and in, in, in refill hydrogen, right? Mm-hmm. So it gets rid of that whole thing and that extra weight. Uh, and batteries essentially can do it. And as we're seeing from our design, now a caveat this, the only way you're going to get 500 miles though is by ground up design, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I applaud Tesla. They built a 500 mile truck. Uh, so they showed that the industry, the, all the naysayers, like, you can't do 500 miles. It can miles be done. Electric. It can mm-hmm. be done. And <laughs> so that immediately kind of shut down a lot of that conversation. Now we're a lot different than Tesla in many, many ways. But speaking about the hydrogen side, you know, we, we looked at, we looked a little further into it. Um, and, and fundamentally hydrogen is great for certain things, potentially aircraft or even like really long haul driving. If there's a reason why you need to go a thousand miles, then hydrogen makes sense because battery just, you know, the weight and, and it just becomes too much. You're, you're basically hauling extra battery to, to haul more load. And, but, um, with a fuel cell, you're, you're fundamentally taking electricity, creating hydrogen transporting the hydrogen, putting it through a fuel cell, which is not that efficient. They're about like maybe 60% uh, for the best and then converting that back into electricity and using it. So it's inherently inefficient. Whereas our system right now, for better or worse, our our grid for electricity is much, much more efficient. So you end up being overall, your overall efficiency of battery electric is much higher. So it just makes more sense. And as we progress towards the future, doing our ground up design, you know, battery energy densities are increasing. Um, our designs are getting more efficient so we can haul more or essentially drive further with less energy. So as hydrogen becomes more available, battery electric is just going to become better. And so it's it's like the Betamax versus VHS or Blu-ray versus HGTVT. You know, I, I firmly feel battery is going to prevail in this space. Um, others may disagree. But that, that is our stance, and, and I'm going to stick by it for now. <laughs> so the trucks are coming, um, but what about the, the charging? Um, what's your view about um, how charging should be built out, where it is today? Is there enough, uh, you know, uh, what, what the power requirements might need uh, to be, whether you think it'll be there, and just... There's a lot happening. So I've I've worked on charging issues, you know, the nuts and the bolts for, you know, the last few years specifically. And there are some challenges, everything from working with the utility, utility backlog to, you know, uh, expedited permitting, you name it. So how confident are you that the the charging will be there? And, And how do you see that all playing out? Good, good question. So, and how as a, does it affect you uh, potentially? Yeah, yeah. So, as a as a a a driver of an electric vehicle now for oh, well over a decade, so I've had <clears throat> EVs when people really didn't know much about EVs. Uh, I've been dealing with the charging problem from its infancy. Now, I'm not talking about EV one kind of days, but um, you know, early early 2010s kind of time frame. 
Um, charging just really was hard to find. And so I'm very used to never having charging. So when I drive now and I find that, hey, there's charging stations around, it always kind of blows me away. But um, when, we, when we talk about commercialization, so there's definitely, if the, the trucking industry in itself is, is a little slow, but talking about the industry that's even slower, it's the utilities. So, um, but it's not just a problem for heavy duty trucks, right? This is a, this is a global problem, certainly a national yeah. one that, yeah. you know, Biden just talked about today uh, right. of right. rolling out uh, more charging and Tesla's going to open up more of their chargers for, for uh, you know, other vehicle use. So that, that's great. Um, there's the amount of heavy duty trucks on the road compared to passenger cars is small. <laughs> so, you know, we need to solve this problem for everything, not just heavy right. trucks. Um, now we have some of an advantage here because unlike passenger cars where, you know, America's built on driving and you can drive everywhere and the freedom of going where you want means you have to put chargers everywhere, you know, prolific amount of charging all over the place so that right. when you're at your coffee shop getting your coffee or you're driving to Yellowstone, you know, you have to have chargers. Whereas for trucks, you know, if we design them correctly to have that hub to hub model and have that capability, we can localize charging. And so that's a bit of an advantage. And so we are actually working with a company, I can't name yet, uh, but I'm very closely working with them, just had a couple meetings yesterday, their, their sole focus is to build out commercial charging for heavy trucks. Uh, and they're really kind of pushing this forward, working with utilities, working with customers to get these kind of facilities built up quickly. Um, and so we can localize our charging, which is where we have a little bit of an advantage. It's a little bit easier because you can work with the utility on a single spot years in advance, and you can build out that, that infrastructure. <clears throat> so the other thing is, you know, we're talking about today, Whereas, you know, we're, we're going to be rolling out trucks, as I mentioned, kind of middle to end of this decade, several years away, and we're already preparing to talk through charging with our customers. So we have multiple years to kind of bring that online, uh, which gives us a little bit of advantage. If, you were to, if we were to sit here and tell you we're making 10,000 trucks a quarter or something, and uh, we're going to deploy them next week, and uh, all our customers, we would be in a much different spot, right? Yeah, there's... There's not a lot of charging capability, yeah. so um, right. but that that's our take. So I, do I think fundamentally it's a problem for us? It's not a problem; it's a challenge, but that we're addressing. Um, but I don't think it's going to help. It's going to keep us from being able to scale. So, do you think that there needs to be, you know, in the light duty side, there sort of the alternative fuels corridors that, that DOE. Um, has worked very diligently on with industry. There's NEVI funding. Do you think that there needs to be sort of a similar approach for this space? It, it isn't necessarily an alternative fuels corridor, but it's about the hub, putting into place the hubs and then the government, you know, sort of working on, you know, the same sorts of things, but applied to you know, heavy duty trucks, you know, uptime, reliability, other sorts of standards uh, and the like, and funding. Yeah, <clears throat> I think, funding. of course, more funding always helps, right? <laughs> and and I, I mean that seriously, because, you know, building out, like, we're going to have to upgrade our grid fundamentally to deal with right. all of the EVs, whether they be passenger cars or heavy trucks. Now, I, I do see, again, because trucks tend to mostly run out on heavy-duty trucks or even light-duty, um, there are certain areas they, there's high concentrations of them. That would make sense to deploy more charging. 
Um, and these trucks need a lot of power. You know, where they need essentially a charging facility for heavy trucks or even medium duty trucks requires multiple megawatts of power. This is huge. You know, entire power stations <laughs> essentially need to power these things. And so it, it does, it would help certainly to build strategic charging facilities in very high use areas like corridors, right? Like the, you know, we can just name a couple um, a high, you know, the five or 80 or whatever, where there's, there's trucks running kind of all the time. Um, so that would definitely help. But again, I think where we can start is installing them with customers or near customers and kind of starting to roll out, you know, hit, hit the big high volume areas where there's a lot of trucks moving in segments of road and start deploying EVs there and then start scaling that up. It's unreasonable, I think, to to, to say that we're going to have heavy trucks all electric in 10 years and they're all going to be all over. It's just, it's going to take a bit to get to that yeah. point, but we sell all the 225,000 class eight vehicles a year in the United States. So taking even a chunk of that away and making them electric is a big win. And, yeah. and, you know, over the next couple decades, I foresee we would quickly uh, alleviate that to be all uh, electric, but it's going to take a little bit of time. So I want to ask you about autonomy um, and the, the the status of autonomy, especially given your 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 deep and long experience there. How do you see the future of autonomy evolving in vehicles in general, light, heavy, so on and so forth? And from the heavy duty perspective, what do you think we can expect in the next you know 10, 15 years in the heavy duty space? Good question. So the, the media has really, let's say, um, kind of, I don't want to say thrown out autonomy, but not treated it kindly the last few years. There was a lot of perception that autonomy was going to show up in a couple of years and it was going to be everywhere and solve all the problems. You know, it's a hard problem to solve. You know, be, building autonomous vehicles takes time. And, you know, I worked at Waymo for just shy of eight years. It was like a few weeks shy of eight years. And I saw us develop from what was then a Lexus with a LiDAR on top to building our own vehicles to building, you know, multiple iterations of our self-driving systems, then building autonomous heavy truck systems. Uh, the amount they advanced, even a year, was incredible. And they were advancing faster every year, right? So it was like exponentially getting better. So the technology isn't going anywhere. So regardless of what the media says, and, and I don't mean you particularly, I just mean oh, yeah, the, yeah. the general yeah. media, right? Yeah. Is yeah. um is been pretty negative on is it, you know, it's dead, it's not coming. That's just not true. It absolutely is coming. The technology's not going anywhere, it's here to stay. Um, so then let's talk about rollout, right? In many ways, and I obviously firmly believe autonomy in heavy trucks will be the beachhead. Uh, where we're going to see it. It makes the most sense. Uh, it is a rather, it's it's a more restricted use case, as they like to say. So mm -hmm. when you've got surface street driving and, and taxis and whatnot, that's a really hard problem. That's the hardest problem. There's so yeah. much going on all the time that it's very difficult to solve. But highway driving, it's it's more restricted, right? You The amount of things that can happen are just less. And so um, it's a little bit easier to solve that use case. Therefore, it makes a lot of sense. Plus your cost per mile is such a big driver in the industry that if you can reduce that significantly with autonomy, it helps adoption, right? So there's there's a kind of a lot going for putting heavy trucks, uh, autonomy on heavy trucks, which is why we saw it 
you know, that's why we saw all the big companies start trying to do heavy travel. And so I, I still feel in the next couple of years, and, and I would even say within the next two to three, you're going to oh, wow. see fleets of autonomous heavy trucks really start to make headway. Um, they're, they're, it, they've gone a little bit more under the radar because of all kind of negative yeah. attention, but it's there and it's testing and they're making good developments. Um, and, for, and by many respects, the technology is ready to go. It's just how do we scale it now? That's mm-hmm. why Terraline is here. <laughs> so, right. you know, part of the, the Tengra is it's an EV and it's a human driven EV. But we're enabling autonomy in our platform. Right? So we're, we're looking, which is why the truck behind me, you'll see the, the kind of sensors or a tanger, you'll see uh, the sensors on the vehicle. The idea is you know, we're future-proofing the vehicle. We're, we're making it available and enabled for autonomy. There's a lot of ways we do that. Um, but essentially, the architecture is designed to accept an autonomous driver when ready. And so we're, we're essentially saying, you know, we still feel very strongly that this industry will move to be full autonomous. Uh, in the next couple of years. And if not, at least have the ability to be autonomous within the next couple of years. And that's why we're building on into our platform. Um, so there's a lot more to say on this topic. And, and so happy to, to expand on any of that. Yeah, I think um, it, it is interesting. I mean, I've been through many hype cycles in my career, just working on, you know, fuels, transport, energy issues. And I think you know, yeah, I think autonomy has kind of gotten kicked in the pants uh, <laughs> by the media, yeah, which absolutely. is just the, you know, it's that downward curve of the of the hype cycle before things like, you know, sort of reality and things kind of start to level out. But I do think, you know, like for light duty, you know, I live in South Florida around, you know, on an island around the Everglades, and you really ser- seriously don't know what's going to pop out at you at any minute. I mean, good <laughs> LIDAR, good luck, um, you know, seriously. Um, but I think for like, you know, autonomy on highways, like you're saying, and then this concept of platooning, which I think is really, really, you know, interesting Um, Also, um, I just think, you know, for the heavy duty space, it just seems to make a lot of sense. Yeah, no, it it absolutely. And and in fact, uh, Florida is one of the more progressive states in the autonomous sector. I mean, I I think former Senator now, Brandis, I'm not sure if he's still Mm -hmm. here, but he's been pushing, uh, we've spoken to him a lot uh, to kind of create a corridor of autonomy between Florida and Texas. Uh, and of course, Texas is friendly to autonomy. Arizona is friendly to autonomy. And so we're already starting to see these trucks are running. And, and the, the public may not be super aware, but in mm-hmm. Florida and Arizona and Texas, there are class eight vehicles running autonomously right now, every day, all day. Wow. And uh, successful. I didn't know that. And wow. so, yeah, yeah. And so it's, um, they're, they're, some of it's testing, some of it's actually hauling uh, freight now. So um, it's there. It's just, uh, yeah, kicked in the pants, I think is a polite term <laughs> for what's <laughs> happened to autonomy. But there was a lot of hype, you know, and there was a lot of silliness that was created. A lot of companies that just try to get on the hype train that we're seeing go away and the industry is consolidating, which had to happen. Right. Uh, so there's going to be a few very you know successful players there'll be a handful of them that are going to really push this frontier forward um obviously i feel strongly way most one of them but mm-hmm. uh there's there's others and i'm very bullish on autonomy in in the near future so fun and last question what excites you most about the space and why i mean you left waymo you're creating a new uh, company you're creating uh a new 
vehicle, uh, new vehicle design. It's it's a climb. Um, so you must love it. Um, so what excites you most about about this space? Ah, geez. Uh, as, as you put it, we're building a new vehicle. And as an entrepreneur in a vehicle, like I love vehicles in general. It's just that ability to create something new and interesting, but have a, have a real impact, like really push an industry to change, to be more sustainable. That's what excites me is when we start seeing our vehicles on the road, uh, driving zero emission, you know, that's, that's a huge win. That's why I get up every day. Um, and that to me, that's the most exciting thing. And, and hopefully we can help change the industry faster uh, than it's noted for. And um, so, so that, that's really why we're here. Well, Graham, thank you so much for being on the show. Good luck with Terraline. And, and please uh, come back as you all really get going into the development process further and further and further. It was a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Tammy. It was a pleasure. Anytime. We'd love to come back. And I'd love to take a ride in one of those vehicles just for just putting it out there. <laughs> well, you you are you are in Florida, which is again a friendly state. Uh, so hopefully we'll uh, be able to get you in one in the not too distant oh, future. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Take care. Thanks so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Fueling the Future of Transport. This show is hosted and edited by Tammy Klein, produced by Carolyn Schneer, and engineered by Alexander Nikolic. To hear more great episodes of this show, learn more, and sign up for a free bi-weekly newsletter, visit transportenergystrategies.com.